1: Hello, my name is Stuart Miles, and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week, things have really ramped up in terms of product launches, with both Apple and Sony PlayStation dominating the headlines. Apple, at the start of the week with its September Time Flies event, saw the launch of the latest Apple Watch and new iPad Air, and Sony confirming the price, launch date, and launch games for its next generation console, the PlayStation 5. Poglin's Rick Henderson joins us in a bit to tell us all about Sony PlayStation, while Dan Grabham pops in later to talk about all things Apple. And sandwiched in between that, I've been talking to Ethan Kaplan, the general manager for Digital at Fender, about how you get people to learn musical instruments online. But first, Rick, tell us more about the
2: PlayStation Five. Well, finally, we finally found out uh, release date and prices. Woohoo! Yes. Yeah, um, and that was essentially what I think most fans were looking out for. And so
1: just to recap, so those that missed the announcement itself, what is the price? So I feel like I'm on prices right, come on down. (laughs) What is the
2: price of the PlayStation 5? Well, of course, there are two separate versions. And the standard PlayStation 5 comes in at £449, $499 in the US. Um, So that's that's pretty much the most you'll have to pay for a playstation 5 the playstation 5 all digital edition or sorry digital edition um is three five nine pounds three nine nine dollars which isn't bad actually that's quite a good way of getting into the next generation uh, uh a cheaper price now is they
1: are they what we were expecting i mean i know we were always thinking that playstation and sony was going to be punchy um that's still quite expensive, but is it? How does that compare against the Xbox? And and has the price changed because of that? Do you think?
2: Um, PlayStation says that it didn't reduce its prices after it had already heard, after it heard Xbox um, announce its. It, essentially, it just um, says that it had those prices in mind all the time. I'm not entirely sure I believe that. However when you actually compare them, the new PlayStation 5 is exactly the same price as the Xbox Series X, which will be some humdigger of a battle. Uh, The all digital or the digital edition is actually £110 in the UK, $100 in the US, more expensive than the Xbox Series S. But what is really important to note is that the um, PS5 digital edition is actually exactly the same tech specs, As the standard PlayStation 5, the only difference being that it doesn't come with a 4K Blu-ray player. The actual um, Xbox Series S is much lower specification. So essentially, while it's a lot lower price, you are getting much lower tech.
1: Yeah, because it hasn't been, I suppose, the PlayStation 5 digital hasn't been sort of hampered. They haven't made that a a less powerful version, have they, to, to get that. Price, all they've done is just said, well, you don't get the disk
2: drive. You have yeah. to download all your games. Absolutely. It's exactly that, is the disk drive. And, and I suspect as well that the disk drive doesn't make that disparity in pricing, um, that they, uh, they've they actually dropped it lower than we probably originally expected because a disk drive is not a hugely expensive piece of hardware. But what I actually think is they're banking on making that money back on digital sales because, right. of course, the PlayStation 5 Digital Edition you won't be able to buy a game from, say, Amazon or Game or Best Buy. You'll have to buy them through the PlayStation Store itself. So so it costs. So at the end of the day, PlayStation will make more money per sale of a game that way than they will on a disc version of a game that you buy elsewhere. Therefore, they can actually make a disc-less version less expensive.
1: I suppose in the same way that when you buy a, and Sony will hate me for saying this, but when you buy a printer, it's incredibly cheap, and then you come to refill the ink, and you realise that actually it's
2: more than the printer cost in the first place. Exactly that, and the <laughs> early indications we've seen is that PlayStation Five games will cost you around seventy pounds a pop. Wow. Yeah, is, that's a field, lot.
1: I remember it used to be like thirty-five quid. Now it's suddenly seventy quid. That's quite a. I mean that's probably a long time ago since it was 35 pounds but that seems like a quite a punchy punchy f- price. Do you think gamers will be happy to pay
2: for that much? It's interesting. I mean we've seen actually in recent times that even on PlayStation 4 and Xbox 1 that gamers are willing to pay for extra content. Um for example um the most popular version of FIFA that they sell every year is not the basic standard version but a sort of like an Ultimate Team version where you get some of the Ultimate Team cards thrown in and a few exclusive Mm. extras, but you're actually paying between 79 and £100 for it. And they're very popular nowadays, but we are talking about the standard versions of games. The other funny disparity I've seen recently, um, certainly in the last few days, is the price of PlayStation 5 games in comparison to Xbox Series X equivalents. Now, even, even on a very, very simple straw poll, all you have to do is go onto Amazon and check between the PlayStation 5 copy of game and an Xbox Series X game. And there's a good reason why there's a roughly $5, £5 price difference. PS5 is, expen- is more expensive. And the and... reason I believe is because the Xbox Series X version is also the Xbox One version. It's the same disc. It's exactly the same game. When right. you plug it in, it will then download the Xbox Series X extras, but they're selling the same game. Work across them all. PlayStation Five games are not the same as PS4 games. You can't, now you can't just do it that way.
1: Now before we start worrying about, so you've bought the cost, you bought the console, you've got the. Uh, You've paid a little bit more for the games because you bought the games. Is there anything else that you're gonna to have to bear in mind when you invest in this thing? Do you have to get more controllers, for example?
2: Yes. This is the other thing is that um PlayStation 5, unlike the Xbox Series X, and we're not putting it down at all. It it looks like a fantastic machine. Let's let's just put it out there. Especially mm. the games that are coming up. But the actual one of the other sort of caveats is that accessories aren't very transferable. Some headsets will be. Um, some uh, some manufacturers will be able to push their USB accessories for, across platforms. But PlayStation 5 games cannot be played, for example, with a PlayStation 4 controller. You ah, will... So you're
1: not going to be able to just say, oh, well, I've got four controllers exactly. already. I've just used those."
2: Exactly. So you will have to buy the DualSense controller to uh, a second one if you want to play multiplayer games at home. So, uh, and then they go. I think another, they're around seventy quid. <laughs> I was about to say another seventy pounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it's. I mean, we are having a. It's. It's a very. To be honest, it's very expensive. Say you're a parent and your kids said, I, "I want a PlayStation Five. I don't don't want the Xbox Series S. I want a PlayStation Five this Christmas." It could become a quite an expensive pursuit, but it is very early days. You're talking about early adoption here
1: and and finally the i know there was a big obviously the it wasn't just they didn't just stand up on stage and say the price is this and it's coming out when they i mean we talked we haven't talked about the price when it's coming out actually have we so let's quickly talk about that but then can you also tell us they told us some game stuff as well is so there excitements there
2: absolutely well the 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 console actually comes out on the 12th of November in the US Canada and some select countries japan as well sony's own um homeland And the rest of the world get it on the nineteenth of November, so that's essentially. Well, it's exactly a week later, and it's also the US launch date is two days after the Xbox, so it's quite an interesting couple of weeks. Yeah, that'd be yeah. Um, yeah. And also, then there's Black Friday straight afterwards. Nice. Yeah, so it's quite to have no money come December (laughs) first. It's quite a crazy little time. Um, So, but that's You know, that's all good. Pre-orders though, Um, while Xbox still isn't up for pre-order quite yet. PlayStation Five went pre-order that minute almost. It was yeah. like it's already available on pre-order, so that's quite ex- extraordinary. Um, the other thing that they obviously did during their showcase event were the games, and this is where many um, observers are looking at the PlayStation Five as possibly at launch topping the Xbox Series X because it has a really good lineup of games, and they they announced quite a few last uh, on that showcase. So uh, one of which, a particular fave, and this is coming to all consoles, to be absolutely fair, is Hogwarts Legacy. Mm. That, was, that was the one that probably excited me the most. It's the, Harry, the long-awaited Harry Potter RPG, which means that you are a student, you start out as a, as a character you've created as a student, and you go to Hogwarts. It's actually based in the 1800s, so you don't actually get to meet Harry Potter at all. Um, oh, so that's even before, like, the Fantastical Beasts as well. Exactly, so. and it's, that's very clever, because I think they're actually going to try and tie it in with the, with the full story. So you'll see kind of how the evil ones all became the evil ones, etc., etc. It, it looks really good. It's being developed by Avalanche as well, who developed the Mad Max game wow <laughs> kind of a one extreme to the other <laughs> yeah exactly so but that looks excellent and the other big exclusive that <laughs> and I'd say that in inverted commas was final fantasy 16 now obviously that's a massive deal for any final fantasy fans but all, but the i I say exclusive in inverted commas because it turns out it's probably only a years exclusive to console and only 6 month exclusive because there will be a pc version as well
1: and so, either of those two games available at launch? No.
2: <laughs> <Those> okay. So, <laughs> those will what be. are you going to be
1: what's What are you going to be playing on launch day? Because I know you probably already pre ordered one, haven't you? I have.
2: The first, yeah, I did, So, actually. what's the
1: first game you're going to be you're going to be looking forward on on launch day to get and, and
2: play? There were two. Um, there are two really good launch games coming out. There's Demon's Souls, the latest in the Demon Soul saga. Um, that looks particularly good, um, really hard, and it is going to be a launch game, even though they never actually set a release date on the uh, on the showcase. The other one is Miles Morales, the Spider-Man game. Now, it's only a downloadable content, really. You can buy it as a separate game, and what happens is you get the original Marvel Super- Spider-Man sorry, that they released a little while ago for PS4. But it looks absolutely stunning. This time you get to play Miles Morales as Spider-Man, who is the one that took over from Peter Parker. And it is brilliant. It looks absolutely brilliant. They did quite an extended demo of it during the showcase event. And this is something else I've noticed about ray tracing and next generation games. The best thing in all of them is puddles. (laughs) (laughs) that's water effects are superb because obviously it does really realistic sort of reflections and lighting and puddles look brilliant and and that was a common trend i think In every game i saw there was really nice puddles so there you go that's that's next generation for you 400 pounds for a puddle still to come
1: dan and i talk about the new apple watch series six
2: you
0: know being overnight with the watch and then i've got 10am the next morning which seems that key time um and then i need to charge it but i might not be at my desk or whatever so that's that's that can be a bit of a problem
1: if you wanted to learn a musical instrument how would you go about doing it buy a guitar head over to youtube perhaps maybe even be as bold as to get it some lessons according to research what normally happens is that after the first couple of weeks the instrument soon starts to gather dust and ends up in a cupboard has a big problem for brands like Fender, because if you don't keep playing, you're unlikely to want to buy another one. I recently talked to Ethan Kaplan, the general manager of a digital at Fender, who's fully aware of the problem and believes Fender has a solution. I started by asking him how his role fits into a company that is seen by many as being very analog.
3: I came in about five years ago, actually, to, to bring the company into the digital realm. Um, Fender is 75 years old, obviously, um, and and essentially what Fender does is it makes tools for musicians. It makes tools for musicians to create uh, music, guitars, amplifiers, basses, etc. Um, but people make music in all different forms and people need to learn how to make music and do that in different forms. And so Fender Digital started really to to bridge the gaps between the times when people are holding a guitar and playing a guitar and learning it. Uh, and give them the tools and encouragement needed to continue playing. Um, our biggest issue was abandonment rate. Um, yeah. 90% of people that start playing guitar quit within the first three months, if not the first like, 30, 60 days. So a lot of what we've done is try to make that first six months, first year, now first two, three years, um, really fun and encouraging and educational for anybody picking up the instrument.
1: And how do you go about doing that? How do you, how do you entice more people to carry on playing? Because it was, it was a question I, I mentioned to a friend that I was interviewing, and he said the first thing when he learned how to play a guitar is, is that it's very easy just to just to leave it in the cupboard and not come back to it.
3: I mean, the first thing we tackled was a guitar is actually hard to tune. And if you don't tune a guitar, it sounds pretty pretty bad if you start playing it. So we made a guitar tuner that taught you how to tune. Um, you take it for granted that people would know how, but it was actually all the guitar tuners we could find, um, both physical ones and digital ones didn't actually teach you how to use them. Um, so that was the first step. And then the second step was Fender Play, um, which is a video-based music instruction and guitar instruction system. Um, but it goes, it, it takes you from just holding the instrument for the first time up through basically advanced beginner competency. Um, but we're always adding content, always adding songs. And it really teaches you how to play guitar using songs that you actually know and songs that you've heard rather than kind of sounds alike or old rock songs from the 60s that you may have never heard before.
1: And how's the popularity of of Fender Play? Is that, is it, do people, because obviously you could go to YouTube, you could go, you know, buy a music book or or what have you, what's, how, how do people engage in it and, and take it from there?
3: Fender Play has been really popular. Um, We did a program during the whole first three months of lockdown, basically, to give it away for three months. Um, And it grew up to almost a million people in there. Um, It's proven really successful. And the retention into the product is way better than we were seeing the retention into the instrument. We're getting more people through that first year, more people through that first six months. And while there are video-based instruction programs on, on YouTube, it's all disjointed, it doesn't have a through line. And it's just video. Um, Fender play is video plus a lot of other stuff within the product um, that help you learn how to play. So it's very uh, specific video for learning how to play. Um, but we've seen really great success in it for the last three years.
1: And a lot of people, certainly big companies like Apple and and, and the like, are, are moving towards a more of a subscription service to sort of try and work out how to, to keep a repetitive, you know, that 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 customer who's bought their product to come back in. Have you have you taken inspiration from the way that the big tech companies are doing it and added it here? Or or do you see, you know, do you see the the subscription service being a big part of, of Fender, almost replacing the need to, you know, to sell guitars.
3: It's the subscription business we have with Fender play is very additive, um, to the guitar business, a subscription, especially if you subscribe for a year, um, really is a f- focused intent on learning and it really commits yourself to learning something, um, in-person guitar lessons were mostly month to month, not with, not with a degree of commitment. So it's easy to quit um with the the one year subscription to Fender Play we give you 10% off of Fender gear all year uh in countries that we support that and and that's really a reward for the commitment um running a subscription business is very different than than selling um physical products um but because of the way that medias moved apple netflix google everybody um, it's become more and more popular but i think subscriptions kind of a, a um um I don't know. It's like a mental barrier, a mental barrier of commitment for people. And once they subscribe to something, there's almost a a need to use it. And that's really helped us and it's helped us shape how the product works as well. And and can you give us an example of how it's shaped the product? Yeah, we we know that those first three days after signing up are really critical. Um, They're critical for people to kind of sit down and try it. Um, If we can get them through the first three days, we can usually get them through the first 14, and we have a trial window that's either 7 or 14 days. And if we can get them through 14, then they're kind of off to the races. And a lot of how we communicate to to people, how we structure the onboarding, um, what we do with things like our Fender Play Live that we do every Wednesday – or our office hours that we do in our Facebook community, all those are around getting people over those, getting people over those initial barriers um, during that first really critical, you know, three to fourteen day period. Um, once they're there, you know, we've gotten people through the holding guitar, my fingers hurt, um, playing something recognizable, and then we have a lot of this other stuff around the product, the community um, the Fender play lives, the office hours on Instagram that really encourage people and get people wanting to learn.
1: Now, one of the things that you could argue is, is, or ask is, does have you, by having this new type of, of player, you know, on, on boarding and and starting to use the Fender products, has that changed the way that you're making the guitars? Have you, is that, has it had a, a response that way?
3: yeah, the guitar is an interesting instrument. it's it's really hard to use. um it's a it's a very difficult user interface if you're coming from like my digital product standpoint. Um, it's six strings, wood, metal, um, it's hard to hold sometimes. It's hard to get used to. And so when we started putting the lessons together, a lot of the thinking was, what's the best way to onboard people into a guitar? And a lot of people would start on acoustic, but it was actually electric's the easier one to play. Right. so, it shaped a lot of how we put together. We have these things called Squire Packs. Um, Squire is our entry level guitars, but they're really amazing, um, and they, you know, they have, they're just as good as our, our Fender products. Um, and we have the electric versions and the uh, acoustic versions of those, um, and those really work alongside Fender Play. And we've adjusted our product roadmap and our product cadence even um, to suit what we've discovered about beginner guitarists as we've done these projects.
1: And can you give an example of of how that's changed?
3: We launched um, some new Squire Minis um, that are different body shapes than the Stratocaster. We launched a Squire Mini bass and a Squire Mini Jazzmaster. We're getting a lot more young players um, and a lot more diverse players coming in that are looking at different form factors and different scales of the guitars, but want something unique still and not something that that looks like everybody else's. So it's really pushed us into thinking more broadly about who the new player is going to be and making sure that our products that we sell, the songs that we have in Fender Play, um, and the way we talk about the re- product reflect the diversity of the people learning how to play the instrument.
1: And where does this go? Where do, do you just see more and more video tutorials in an attempt to play? Do you, what's the plans for the future?
3: We continue to add content to Fender Play. We have a a pretty deep roadmap of of new content, new songs. We just added like Billie Eilish songs. Um, And we continue to look at what's trending on the music charts and even TikTok and things like that, and then see if we can get those in Fender Play, because you want the songs that people learn to be reflective of the stuff that they're listening to in the moment. Um, we're also continuing to add features to the, to the product, things that will help you become a more competent player. Um, we're working on some of that stuff in the roadmap right now. We just launched collections, um, which is a way of getting kind of off a curriculum path into more deep dives into things like soloing um, and different techniques. Um, and we'll always adjust to technology. Um, everybody's always releasing new phones, new ways of doing things. Um, and we will always adjust to that.
1: And do you think there's a, obviously the pandemic this year has forced us to, you know, kids are learning from home and we're forced to, you know, not really go anywhere and and see people. Do you feel that this is the way that we're going to be learning things in the future? Or do you think it's it's a blip and we'll kind of go back to trying to say, well, actually, I'd like a music teacher and someone to come around and actually teach me?
3: Um, I have two children that just started homeschool this morning uh, or last week, but they're just kicked off their school day. And so I'm living it day to day um, as, you know, they're home and I'm home and my wife's home and we're all kind of stuck at home. Um, You hope that things are going to return to normal. Um, I don't think it's going to return to what we considered normal before with or without uh, whatever happens with the COVID-19 virus. I think that, People are learning that there's different ways of doing things and different ways of adjusting to doing things. And that, I think, includes how to learn instruments and how to learn languages and how to learn uh, computer programming and all of those things. Um, People have been thrown headfirst into distance learning, um, video-based instruction, uh, online instruction, and it's been effective. Um, We've gotten a very different category and different classes and different Uh, types of people entering the guitar space. I think 18% of our new users are between the age of 18 and 24 and 70% now under the age of 45. And we've never seen that before. So while I hope, you know, I hope for my own sake, um, my kids can return to school soon and that we can return to some degree of normalcy. I think we've also learned that some of the ways they learn now, um, very concentrated learning online and uh, self-paced curriculums um, and kind of learn where you want, Th- that's here to stay, and that's great. Um, I think Fender Play as an online learning product will complement and can complement in-person learning. There's always something to get out of sitting with somebody uh, mm-hmm. and playing with them. At the same time, um, we'll continue to broaden our instruction and broaden our curriculum uh, and encourage people to keep playing because it's not you, you know you, you, no one predicted that in March, no one would be able to see each mm-hmm. other for for mm-hmm. seven months. Um, and so we want to make sure that whatever happens, if in-person learning becomes more popular again, if it becomes safer, um, whatever happens in the future, that, that we still have this product that's there to fill the gaps too.
1: Apple's September event is normally reserved for the launch of the company's iPhones. But this year, yeah, guess what? It's 2020, has disrupted the supply chains with the Apple iPhone launch being pushed back to October. All things changed that hasn't stopped Apple launching two new Apple Watches and two new iPads, as well as a new subscription service called Fitness Plus and the Apple One bundle that pulls everything together further still. Guess what? I've been wearing the new Apple Watch. Yes, I've got it on my wrist right now talking to you. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us. And Dan's been following the announcements. Now, I know you've been using the Watch, watch OS 7 beta and you've actually been sleeping with your phone, haven't you? So we thought it'd be nice to be basically throw it around and discuss everything with the new apple watch and whether we'll be sleeping with our apple watches from now on so dan are you still sleeping with it
0: well mo- yes most of the time but the problem is that i i was habitually charging it at night so there's a there's mm. a behavioral shift for all apple watch users in that you now need to charge it in the day and that's you know that's not always worked out for me because sometimes i found that if i've uh, uh, you know, being overnight with the watch, and then I've got to ten AM the next morning, which seems like key time. Um, and then I need to charge it, but I might not be at my desk or whatever. So that's that's that can be a bit of a problem. But this, but the, the sleep tracking itself is is actually really good. It um you know it's it's set and forget. The setup process is a bit a bit fiddly in terms of you need to specify bedtimes, a sleep target. Oh,
1: a, what a, what is your bedtime then?
0: <laughs> Eleven i've got it set to there you go nice but but it but it informs me that i've not met my sleep target because of my three-year-old um at any point so um (laughs) so there's that there's that but yeah the setup process is a bit is a bit finickety because you need to set up the wind down time and and it integrates with your alarm clock and everything so there's actually quite a few options to choose from um and it puts your watch into a do not disturb mode automatically and that kind of thing but actually it actually works really well i mean i don't know how you've how you've obviously you haven't slept with the apple watch series six yet but how have you found the new the newer features
1: this feels such a wrong conversation have you slept with your gadget yet (laughs) no i've i've we're recording this on thursday evening uh the podcast goes out on friday so i i got the apple watch this morning uh so i've i put it on downloaded you know set it up and i've been wearing it kind of pretty much sat on my desk so i haven't really gone out as far that much with it um the display went off. I mean, there's a couple of new things with from a technology point of view that I've kind of noticed straight away. There's obviously a slightly faster processor. Flicking around the menus and, and the interface, it feels slightly faster, but it's really early days to determine whether it is or not. Um, there's the it's always like the Series Five. It's got an always-on display. They've made the display brighter. It's now 500 nits rather than 300 nits. For most people, that won't mean a thing. We normally talk about nits when it comes to TV displays and 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 phones and things like that. Apple says it's two and a half times brighter, which means that you should be able to see it in daylight. Now, I stood outside in the sun. It's quite a sunny day today. And yeah, it was clearer, which is great. They've also changed some of the watch faces. They're not as black and white as I call it. Now, if you've used a Series 5 watch, you'll notice that when the screen is trying to save power, it it kind of dulls, the, dulls everything down. And normally, if you've got a colourful uh, colorful watch face then it, it inverts so if it's a block like pink number it will become an outline pink number and then yeah. the, the 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 fill will go black to try and save power
0: yeah because i um, found that really annoying with the series five actually they kind of i'm i'm sort of not necessarily looking at it directly but the <laughs> screen screen goal goes dull and i'm 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 then trying to sort of wiggle my wrist to to wake yeah, up. yeah so months. there's
1: there's two things that i've noticed already that i do doing with this firstly because i'm a narcissist clearly um, I've got an Animoji of me looking back at me at the moment. I I set that up at the beginning thinking this would be fun for the photos. And then I haven't managed to have time to swipe off that yet. So every time I look at my watch, it's an Animoji of me going, hi, how are you kind of thing, um, which is a bit weird. Um, secondly, what they've done. So that, that doesn't obviously invert. So I don't become an outline. It just it stays and it goes a bit a bit duller. So that's fine. They've changed watch uh 7 that, when it is for these watches when the screen is off i.e. dulled out or however you want to call it um you can still now you can now interact with the complications they're the like the you know bits on the bits on the watch where before and i used to find this a real problem is you'd it'd be dull you'd think it was clear enough to tap on you'd tap on it and then nothing would happen because that would be you waking the screen and then you'd tap again to then get through it now all you have to do is just tap the complication and off you go oh, which that's is, pretty cool that's a big thing i've noticed even in the first couple of hours of, of using it um there's there's some other there's lots of things that uh, there's the i mean the two big things that from a sensor's point of view is you've now got an altimeter which should make a huge difference to um to fitness apps because it will be able to tell me the actual height i am so that'd be quite cool so i'm ex- excited seeing, i'm interested to see whether that will make a difference in in my running and things like that so i can actually term- determine when i've climbed a hill or or what have you um still to explain that explore that feature and the the one that the new other new sensor is blood oxygen monitoring um which is available on quite a few other sort of smartwatches from garmin and things like that this this is the idea It's there's some red effectively some red lights that allow it to take a picture of, of your blood or how much oxygen is in your blood and then relay it back i press the button i've got 100 percent. congratulations to me um what I, that what, what that means i have no idea um i then did it a couple of i did it an hour later and i only had 98 percent. i was disappointed oh. so <laughs> um but you know talking to people that have been using these on on other devices if you're healthy you get between 95 and 100 percent and and talking to apple they kind of tell me that this is not a medical thing they didn't have to like the ecg where they had to go and get medical approval for this uh, it's not that but it so we're still trying to work out where that will fit in in the world over the coming months i suppose yeah
0: it doesn't seem i mean it doesn't seem like it's the most useful update uh, this time around i mean do you think it's sort of a bit more iterative than we've seen before
1: i think uh i think the the apple watch seems to be it <laughs> It's really hard, right? If you're going to buy a brand, new, it's, it feels to me it's about bringing in new people. And therefore, it's a refinement designed to appeal to those new users who have not got an Apple Watch yet. And there's still lots of Apple users out there that haven't got an Apple Watch yet. Or we've got in very early and haven't upgraded for a while um, You know, to say, hey, look, this is all shiny and exciting rather than teasing those who have already bought a four or five to upgrade. So it's with the phones and Apple phones. You always kind of you've got those big group of people that will just go out every year and go, I want a new, I want a new one, I want a new one. And then you, after a while, it was well, I'm going to skip this one, like the S's, wasn't it? You you'd skip the S's and you'd get the next one. And it feels like we're starting to get into that scenario with the watch, in that it's. I mean, it's an amazing. Don't know two doubts about it. It is an amazing smartwatch, right? It yes, does everything absolutely. that you'd expect it to do, and from the other watches I've tested, you know, just the way that they do it and make it work and all the other stuff, it's brilliant. But if you're a Series Five user, and I would have told you probably the same last last year as well, <laughs> is that you, there's nothing, you do, there's no there's no reason for you to upgrade. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: And so I think that's where we're going to start getting with the watch is that they've created this product that is fantastic. But it's not that there isn't the huge technological leaps each year that we used to see with the early days of mobile phones where, you know, you'd be like, oh, my God, I've got to go and get this new thing because it's so much better.
0: The, one of the interesting things that this time around as well is we've now got three Apple Watches, haven't we? We've got the old Series yeah. 3. Um, and the Series 6, which you've got there. Um, and we've also got the Watch SE, which sort of sits in between. We were expecting the Watch SE to probably replace the Series 3, but obviously they couldn't get it down to the appropriate price point. And the, the, the SE is sort of a cut down Series 5, isn't it, slightly? Um, so how do you think that's all going to fit together?
1: Well, I think, I mean, Series 3 is clearly, to my belief is Series 3 is there to hit a price point of sub £200. It's for those people that just want something a little bit better than a Fitbit, but don't really want to start spending big, big money so to speak and i think it's great it's disappointing that because it hasn't got a cellular version of the series uh, three that it doesn't fit with this new thing called family setup which apple have launched as well which is allowing either kids or old, um, older people that don't necessarily have access to an iphone to be able to use a watch all controlled by you know effectively the parents or, or the carers account um you can have up to five in a family so if you really want to go crazy with that uh, and it's all controlled by you know the the master iphone user so to speak which and i think from a kid's perspective you think of the way that you if you use an iphone your kids use an iphone whether you control it via screen time and you can like, see what they do and where they are and contacts and all the other stuff it's kind of it's not called screen time for watch but it's it's effectively the same kind of thing um i do think the the popular one for for many though is going to be this se it does a lot of the things that you would want it um you know there are some restrictions there it doesn't necessarily have all the same functionalities but you know for most people for that that initial if you don't want the cellular and it's i think it's 279 dollars 279 pounds around about that marker um it's a, it's a brilliant entry level into the Apple experience and will give you access to a fitness plus and, and all those things when that launches. But, you know, for most people, I think that's probably the one to go for. And it almost to the point where I'm surprised they didn't call, uh, the Apple watch six, you know, series six, Apple watch pro and, you know, to fit in with the iPhone pro and the iPad pro and all those kind of things. And the, you know, the regular SE one that they're now launching, just calling it Apple watch. So
0: yeah that's a, that's a good point actually because they seem to be introducing pro into more product lines we sort with airpods as well obviously um i mean i guess i, I mean i guess as a as a final point do do you think that that series six is going to is going to sell the most or, or do you think se is actually going to because because of its more appealing price point is going to is going to be the big seller
1: yeah i think this the se is is probably going to be the one that that you'll find under most christmas trees this year um you know the series the the, it's that typical thing you know the i'm currently wearing the stainless the graphite stainless steel one it's a very nice looking watch i know you've had stainless steel on your watches in the past dan yes you know it kind of it it, it gives you that extra sort of luxury element to it um but that said you know the series five i've been wearing was a aluminium one and it's just as you know just as great so i think the se one is the one that most people will end up End up wanting to buy. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.